did you, uh, did you pick that song on purpose? It's almost like you knew what I was going to preach ahead of time. And I told you last Sunday, the only time, the only reason, this, I, I know that God exists because every Sunday, Joe and I, when we prepare, we don't, we pre, like we prepare in parallel, I would say. Yeah. And God exists because the music just seems to always work. It does. Nothing to do with me or you. It's not a prophetic gift. Of any, oh, okay. Prophecy's not real. Oh, <laughs> well. Speaking of our next sermon series, <laughs> that was a great kind of segue. Good job. Just so you guys know, it's actually time for us to start preparing you for the next sermon series. It won't be nearly as long as this one, but I'll comment on that in a minute. We're probably going to be doing, not probably, we're going to be doing the book of Jonah Woo! next. So, awesome, Jonah. And I've entitled the series Fish Tales. Just kidding. <laughs> That's too easy. It's too easy. I'm not doing that. <clears throat> but some, somebody asked me this week, <clears throat> are you really on 69 weeks? And Mark, how could you do that? And I said, you know, I know it's been a long series, but my thought began to, th- you know, if you're going to take a long time to preach on something, it should probably be the life of Jesus, since he's the cornerstone of our faith. And I hope that as we've gone through this and we're nearing the end of it, I'm hoping that you guys have learned a lot more about Jesus and the Gospels than you knew before. I know I have in preaching it. So... Um, <clears throat> We're in week 69 this week, and I've entitled this part of the message, Scattering Sheep. I'm not sure why that happened, but that's all right. It's called Scattering Sheep. So let me just say a couple things in um, introduction. Could you ever see yourself completely turning your back on Jesus? And my question is, what would it take to bring you to that point? <clears throat> what would cause you to say, you know what, enough of this Christianity thing. Can you remember a time, perhaps, in your life where you actually did fail Jesus in a terrible way? Maybe it was a moral failure. Maybe it was a period of time where you went through and your heart was really hardened when it came to spiritual things. Maybe it was a time of addiction. Or you became enslaved to certain types of sin. Or perhaps it was just a time of obscene religious pride. A time, although you would never say it out loud, or maybe you would, but most of us probably wouldn't, you just knew in your spiritual pride you were better off than the rest of the sheep around you. What if you had known ahead of time about those moments or those periods in your life that you were going to be tempted to fall away. Do you think you could have handled it any differently? The fact is this, undeniable. There is no theological or even practical objective debate on this fact. Every one of us are prone to scatter, wander from Jesus. And often we do it and we don't even see it happening. Those moments we recognize, however, when we have scattered are very difficult. How did this happen? I didn't think I was capable of this type of debauchery or inconsistency. But as hard as those moments are, they are also a precious doorway to the sweetest moments in our life with Jesus, those moments where our Jesus restores us 
and brings us back. Let's look at the passage for this week. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to to Galilee. And Peter said, even though they fall away, I will not. They being the rest of the disciples. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all repeated and said the same. So let's look at the history of this passage. I want to talk about their last hour together tonight. I want you to see what's happening here. They're going back now to the house. They've just finished up their Passover meal, right, with the new Lord's table in that secret house in Jerusalem, in that upper room that was furnished for them. And now they've sung in him, they've headed out, and the scripture says they're going back to the Mount of Olives. Just so you understand what's happening here, you see the Mount of Olives, and you see that little pin drop I put there. That's Bethany. If you remember correctly, when they first arrived at Jerusalem, they were staying in a house just outside of Jerusalem in this little town of Bethany. Now, Passover is a traditionally uh, a, very all, a very long all-evening affair, starting a little before sunset and going to midnight. They had just celebrated a heavy Passover with lots of important teaching. More of it is laid out if you ever want to read it in John chapter 13 through 17. There's long teachings about promises that Jesus makes. There's the great, what we call the great high priestly prayer. There's the prediction of his betrayal by Judas. He rewrites the Seder as we celebrated last week. And after an intense six hours, they finally get up. Likely a bit confused, a little bit overwhelmed. Emotions are high. It's finally over. They sing this messianic hymn from Psalms, and they leave that secret upper room together. And you can imagine, after all the food, after all the teaching, after all the discussions and the revelations about betrayal, etc., everyone's exhausted. And they head back for Bethany to that house they've been staying in this whole week. It is likely the house of Simon the leper. That's where they'd had dinner the night before, if you remember correctly. Bethany is that small village outside of Jerusalem, right at the Mount of Olives, and that's where this scene, I just wanted to see where it's happening, that's where this scene is unfolding that we're studying today. Next thing I want you to see is everything is still happening right on schedule. Remember, in the Jewish calendar, the day starts at sundown. So this is still, actually, it's after midnight now, but it's still the same day. It's Passover. It's Nisan, the month of Nisan, day 12, 30 A.D. Remember, that's the important date, a prediction of when Jesus would die. The next day is Sabbath, after after sundown. But in less than an hour, Judas will betray Jesus right here on the Mount of Olives with the priests and their arresting forces. And just a few hours after sunrise, still uh, still on Passover, Jesus will go on trial. He'll be bounced between Jewish and Roman authorities. And finally, he'll be sentenced to die and crucified at 3 p.m. on Passover the next afternoon. He'll die, as planned, on schedule. I know I've repeated this many times over the last few weeks. Joe, why do you keep telling us? That's because it's really important, people. 
to remember who's really in charge of this whole thing. And I know you know this, but I repeat it because today, this reality of who's in charge goes from knowledge, which is what I've been telling you about, Nisan 12, Passover 30 AD. This information about who's really in charge will go from knowledge to comfort and wonder and awe that should impact your heart even now as we speak, whether you're at home, in bed, because of the time change, or here in person. For those of you here in person, you are the elect. (laughs) I'm just, the rest of you, I'm just kidding, relax. Just joking, people. But these guys are still clueless. Even after all this, the countless warnings, the disciples still haven't embraced the fact that Jesus is going to die. He's explicitly spelled it out, but they are still in denial, not only of his death, but now they're in denial of their own demise, which he is also predicting. These are their final moments together with Jesus as a group. Reality is about to hit them square in the face. The thing they've been in denial about all this time for three years is coming due. And just a few hours ago, if you remember correctly, remember what they were arguing about? Who would be the greatest disciple? Remember that? That was their argument just a couple hours earlier. Who's number one? Who's the most faithful? Who's the best? They are still, at this point, still filled with self-righteous religious confidence. But the darkest failure of their lives is about to unfold. They are about to become all too aware of the severity of their own frailty and weakness. So let's look at the spiritual part. What about God or Jesus? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've called this section the scattered sheep. He says to them, listen, you will fall away. See, Judas would not be the only one to abandon Jesus. Every one of them would scatter. Obviously, the disciples' scattering is a little different than Judas, but it's still nonetheless an abandonment. Because these are men who believed in Jesus, they loved him, they were devoted, but they will run in fear. How is that possible? Of course, they can't accept this about themselves. No way, Jesus. You might have been right about a lot of stuff, but you're not going to die and we're not going to run. They can't accept it, starting with Peter. He has supreme, Peter does, supreme confidence that he has what it takes to be faithful. And then Peter, along with the rest, are inspired. They are motivated. They are dedicated. They are determined. No way they're going to fail. They are, my favorite phrase in Christianity, right, on fire for Jesus. (laughs) See, this seems to be, in this situation, some kind of strange combination of righteous passion combined with ignorance of their own weakness, and that, my friends, is a deadly combination of failure. But Jesus assures Peter, no, Peter, you will in fact fall away, and he provides the exact details. Before the rooster crows twice this morning, you're going to deny me three times. Now, at first, I want you to understand, I see why this could be kind of a dark passage, but it brings me, and it should bring us, Incredible comfort, the way Jesus just predicted Peter's sin, and I'll explain that later. 
Then Jesus says the shepherd will be struck. Now to do this, and we're going to talk about what this means, the shepherd is struck. Jesus quotes prophecy once again from the Old Testament, as he's done many times right throughout this series of the Gospel of Mark. And it's easy for us because he does it so often, right? It's very easy for us to take this for granted. There's Jesus quoting the Old Testament again. You cannot. See, Jesus aligns his fate with these prophetic passages that are centuries and millennia old. They are empirical evidence that none of this is an accident. It's the same power and prophetic authority that has just predicted that they're going to fall away. And it predicts the details of Peter's personal failure. And here's the verse that Jesus actually quotes. It's in Zechariah chapter 13. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. Just think about these words. Who do you think speaking? Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares who? The Lord of hosts, Jehovah. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. I will turn my hand against them. So even now, right? Even now, Jesus is teaching who he is by declaring that this is a prophecy about him, not them. Clearly, though, this is a troubling passage, right? It sounds like Jesus is saying that Jehovah is going to strike me and you will scatter. So what is this word strike? Here's the Greek word, patasso. It means to knock fatally with the weapon. What is the weapon? He said, awake my sword, Strike the man who is next to me. Who's at the right hand of the Father? Who is the I? And I will turn my hand against them. Who is that referencing? And why in the world did Jesus have to be struck? Isn't this troubling? Especially if you're a disciple who just finished Passover on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says, by the way, Zechariah 13, 7. Jehovah is going to strike me, and you will scatter. This passage makes it very clear. Jehovah strikes the shepherd. Jesus, think about that for a moment. Because Jehovah, the Father, using the chief priests as his sword, as his religious weapon, will strike Jesus fatally. That's what the word means. I mean, it's already... Just think about this, church. It's already a confusing, emotional, frustrating evening for these disciples, right? And now Jesus is quoting a prophecy about God striking the shepherd and scattering his sheep. This still isn't registering with them, and I think you could probably understand, right? Because of all the predictions of his death, never once did he say, oh, by the way, it's Jehovah who's going to kill me. But he says it here in the very last moments with his disciples. It still isn't registering with him that Jesus is the Passover lamb. This is my body. This is my blood. We celebrated the Lord's table last week as an image of that. 
It is Jehovah who strikes him. I love Isaiah chapter 53, 6 and 7, and then the first part of verse 10. Watch this. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one. Doesn't that sound a lot like Zechariah 13, 7? To his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. This could almost be like a Good Friday sermon, right? See, maybe Peter, maybe Peter and the disciples missed the fact that Jesus was quoting Zechariah, a passage they should be somewhat familiar with as good Jewish men. But Peter's focus isn't Jesus saying he'll be struck to death. What is Peter's focus? Peter just hears one thing, that the sheep are going to be scattered, and he jumps to defend himself. Not me. No way. I am incapable of scattering. But listen, we would expect that from Peter, right? So you can just think, well, that's just Peter. Ha <laughs> ha, you know, the harsh, brash, loudmouth Peter. That's what he does. No, they all said it. They all came right after and said, nope, we won't scatter either. Every personality type you can imagine in the 12. It wasn't a Peter thing. It's a humanity thing. More on that later. Then I want you to see this incredible thing that I call shadow comfort. Attached to this promise is a promise of comfort, of restoration. He says, but I will come behind you in Galilee. Once again, they would become his followers is what Jesus is predicting. Yes, you're going to fall away, but don't worry, I got you. After the fatal blow by the Father, God will raise Jesus up, and in that resurrection, they will all be restored. Now, this about truly. You notice Jesus always says truly. What does that all mean? Why does he keep saying that throughout Scripture? Like, truly, truly, I say. And in this passage, it says truly once, but it's actually twice in the Greek. A rabbi would never say truly on his own. You understand that? That was a tradition. The rabbi would speak, and he would expect his hearers to say, oh, truly, truly, yes, that's very good. Kind of like when you guys would say something. What would you say if I, said, if I ever did say something good, for example? What would you say? I mean, if you were Baptist, you would say amen. You, you know, some of you non-denominational Presbyterian types, you might not. But, you know, Baptists would say amen. I can't go around. Now, sometimes I might say amen, you know. But, you know, usually I wouldn't start off by saying, by the way, this is Amen. And then say something. Rabbis wouldn't do that, but Jesus does it constantly. He is assuring his sheep. He's saying, truly, truly, I say. He says, when they scatter, he will not allow them to be cut off. He predicts when and where their restoration will happen. In Galilee, after his resurrection, there is so much going on here that we'll get to later in another sermon. But I just want you to see there's a lot in this. But this, too, ironically, is part of the prophetic passage he's quoting from Zechariah. Look what it says in Zechariah 13.9. We just read verse 7. Look what it says in 13.9. It's beautiful. 
And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name. I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the scattering sheep that he just prophesied about in verse 7. That's who he's talking about. Even this was written thousands of years earlier. So why do I call this shadow comfort? I mean, this type of comfort should have provided a lot of joy and peace, right? You're going to fall, but don't worry. I got you. Oh, thank goodness. No, instead, there's no way we're going to fall. So here's this comfort, but it disappears into the shadows because they can't see it. At this moment, I call it shadow comfort because it's nice and it's good to hear, but they don't believe they're going to ever need it. It's comfort that they should receive but can't. They should enjoy, but they won't. They should embrace, but they don't. They can't even hear it. They skip right over it and go right to the denial. No way we're going to scatter. They jump right to telling Jesus, now you're wrong. That's why I call it shadow comfort. It's there for everyone to hear, but they don't even hear it or see it. Yet in less than a few hours, they would. Let's go to the personal section. What about us? What do we do and why and how do we do it? I want to talk about when you scatter. <clears throat> this was my uh, social media thing for the sermon preview this week. One of the most comforting things about grace is when Jesus knows way before we do <laughs> how desperately we're going to need it. You know, <clears throat> let me talk to you about this idea of blind scattering. Peter never dreamed about abandoning his rabbi. He didn't think it was even possible. But 33 years later, in 63 AD, when he was writing his first epistle, he certainly understood it when he wrote this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, 33 years earlier, no way I'm going to fall. 33 years later, listen, it's going to be hard. Be sober, be vigilant, keep your eyes open, resist him in the faith, because everyone, all of your brothers and sisters throughout the world are facing this challenge every day. Could you imagine if the disciples had responded like this? Jesus, yes, I know what I'm capable of, and I desperately need your help. Like when Jesus said, you know, the shepherd's going to be struck, and you're all going to scatter. Oh, I believe it. Jesus, thank you for that promise that you're going to restore us, because I, I know what I'm prone to do. But that's not what happened, is it? Because Peter and the disciples never expected to fall. They never thought that they would scatter. See, what's make, what makes this scattering <clears throat> in our lives so dangerous is most of us are blind to when it is happening. We don't wake up one morning and say, I think today is a really nice day. I think I'm going to scatter. <laughs> we don't even know when it's about to happen. In that vein, is it possible that we are more like Peter and the disciples than we realize even this morning? 
See, the source of our foolish spiritual complacency, our insane confidence that all of us have, no matter our personality type, is pride. Whether you're the dogmatic type A like Peter, you're the artistic type, the quiet recluse, the analytical person, whatever, it doesn't matter how you tick, we're all the same. The fact is, we all scatter. It's not just if you scatter, according to Peter, it's when. That's right, when. And when you scatter, it often comes when you can't even see it, when you least expect it. So let's talk about this truly, truly idea. When Jesus said this truly thing, I told you it was an emphatic attempt at comfort. Yes, they would fall away, but just as emphatic as their prediction of their falling away is his prediction that he would restore them. You know what Jesus is saying there that they couldn't hear, but I wish they could have, and I wish you could hear it today in case you're not listening. Jesus is saying, I'm committed to you no matter how far you scatter. No matter how many times you choose the world over me, I will continue to choose you. Some of you, right now, whether you're watching at home or in this room or later on when you watch on YouTube, some of you are about to scatter and you don't even know it. As a matter of fact, if you think you're not going to scatter, you might be in the most danger because you're not being sober and vigilant. Some of you have been scattered for years. You came here this morning scattered and didn't even realize it. Maybe you are listening to this right now and saying to yourself, wow, I need this comfort to come out of the shadows, truly. Well, that verse that Peter just wrote about the warning, be sober, be vigilant, he follows it up with a tremendous, beautiful verse. The comfort, the same one that Jesus gave him on the Mount of Olives that remained a shadow comfort then is no longer a shadow comfort for Peter at this point in 63 AD when he writes this 33 years later. Look what he writes. And after you have suffered, in other words, and after you have fallen (laughs) a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I just got goosebumps and chills just reading it. See how that ties perfectly to Zechariah? How it ties to the Mount of Olives? It's beautiful. I mean, Peter is teaching us what Jesus taught him 33 years earlier that at the time he couldn't hear. What do you think inspired Peter to write this. We're going to study this in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Look, we are all going to fall. But truly, Jesus is committed to us. And that commitment won't change when or how far or how long we scatter. So let me bring this quote up for you. This is from a guy named John Calvin. Some of you might have heard of him. 
He says, the hope for all who fall away will resemble for a short time scattered and wandering sheep, but will at length be brought back to the fold. Some of you are here currently scattered. Some of you are listening to me right now, and you recognize, oh my goodness, I'm nowhere near the flock. The shepherd's not even in sight. You don't know it. Before this moment, you weren't aware of it. Some of you are going to scatter, but you don't know it's going to happen soon. Because you know why? We are prone to scatter. You don't have to go to scattering camp to learn how to scatter. (laughs) You don't have to go to some seminar. You don't have to have a TED talk on how to scatter. You just do it. It's what you're good at. Sadly, for those of us that are in that place right now, about to scatter or have already scattered, this truth about restoration is shadow comfort. As it was for Peter the first time he heard it. A comfort you cannot enjoy or embrace because of blindness and pride and your confidence in your own spirituality. But maybe, just maybe, at this moment, at this very second while I'm preaching this, maybe today Jesus is calling you to look up, look around, recognize that you have scattered, and embrace this promise and comfort of restoration. Look, I don't know what your scattering looks like. You know. I mean, because as I'm preaching this, I'm also praying in the back of my mind, God, bring their examples of scattering to their mind as I speak. I don't know what type of pain your scattering has caused your family. But I can tell you this. There's comfort that comes from knowing that Jesus is coming after you no matter what happens. Isn't that awesome? That's what Jesus does for his scattering sheep. (laughs) Time after time, no matter what it is that made us scatter, he brings us back. Now, it's not better to scatter. (laughs) Well, look, if coming back is so great, I'm just going to scatter today. It ought to be fun. Soon, we'll study the pain that Peter did experience from his scattering. But what inspired him to write this verse in 1 Peter 10, uh, in this verse right here in 5 verse 10? I imagine, and this is my last closing thoughts, just kind of track with me if you will. I imagine the joy and the comfort that he felt the moment Jesus came behind him in Galilee and restored him again, that we're going to read about. I imagine that moment of joy and comfort was only rivaled by one other moment, the day that Jesus called him to leave his fishing nets and follow him. It reminds me of a passage in Psalm 51 where David, after he had scattered and committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, her husband, when he was confronted by his sin, and the prophet said, David, you know, you have scattered. And David said, I have sinned. And he had this long, beautiful prayer in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me from my iniquity. And near the end of it, he said, Restore unto me the joy 
of what? My salvation. The same joy of salvation restored when scattering sheep like you and I are returned to the fold by a patient, powerful, prophetic, loving Jesus. Father, it doesn't take much to make us scatter. So right now, collectively, corporately, as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're dispensing with any fake pride. We're just all admitting to you in one voice. Boy, we scatter a lot. (laughs) We are so thankful that you keep, like a good shepherd does, like a great shepherd, coming after us, restoring us to the fold. Lord, we don't want to scatter. We ask that you would protect us from scattering. Help us, as Peter warned, to be sober, be vigilant, because we know there's an enemy looking to destroy the sheep. But when we do, truly, truly, we know that you're coming to get us. For those hearts that are here this morning that have recognized, wow, I've been scattered for years, restore the joy of their salvation. For those who are sitting in pride and thinking there's no chance that I'm going to scatter anytime soon, reveal to them, oh, yes, you will. You need me daily. But most of all, just thank you, great shepherd, that you relentlessly come after your scattering sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, it's great to have you guys here today. We love you. For those of you watching at home, I'm glad you're able to join us this way. If you need anything else, just let us know. We got your back this week. Have a great week.